Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. I'm Alex Israel. Today, Joshua chapter 22, Yehoshua Perak Chafbet. Today's chapter is a dramatic one, and it is a story of a terrible misunderstanding that almost ends up causing a civil war. We open our chapter after the conquest, after dividing everything up, and Joshua calls the tribes of the Transjordan, Reuven, Gad, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh, and at Shiloh, he sends them off. He thanks them for everything they've done, and he says, you've, you've really kept everything that you promised, and go back to your land with a blessing, be very careful to keep the Torah. And it says that they went back with Nechassim Rabim, with lots of wealth, and off you go. Before Ruvain and Gad and Chassi Shevet Menashe make their way across the Jordan, what they do is that they they build a Mizbeach Alayardein, Mizbeach Gadol a huge altar. And when the other tribes of Israel hear about this, they go completely berserk. They say, what is going on here? And they send a delegation with, and interestingly enough, Joshua is not part of the delegation. The person who leads the delegation is in fact none other than the very zealous priest, Pinchas. And they say to them, what is this treachery that you've committed this day against the God of Israel, turning away from God, building yourselves an altar, rebelling this day against the Lord? Isn't the sin of Pa'ar, which brought a pig upon us, uh, a small thing to us? We haven't cleansed ourselves from this day. This, this uh, accusation that you have betrayed, you have committed idolatry. What are you doing making another altar outside Shiloh? And they even, you know, say something which belies how they how they look at this, where they say, If you think your land is impure, and therefore you needed to build an altar in order to kosher it, if you want, in order to make it kosher, then come back to our land. Ivru el Eretz Achuzat Hashem, come to the land of God, you're welcome to come and join us, but don't rebel against God. Bnei Ruvain and Bnei Gand and Chatsi Shevet Menashe respond and they say, what are you accusing us of? What are you talking about? El Elohim Hashem, El Elohim Hashem, who yodea, be Israel yeda, we believe in Hashem, we believe in God, and God knows if we intended to engage in idolatry. What we wanted to abandon God. But I'll tell you, he says, what our worry is. We were concerned that in some future time, your children will say to our children that there's a border between us, there's a river running between us. And you have no role amongst the Jewish people. 
you have no part in God. And therefore we said, you know what we'll do? We'll make a Mizbeach as a symbol, as a monument, not for any purpose of sacrifice. And this is how they protest their innocence before the people. The delegation headed by Pinchas with the other heads of the tribes listen, they hear, they accept what the two and a half tribes in the Transjordan say, and they call off the national mobilization. They call off the attack, and thank God, civil war is averted. However, what comes through this story is a phenomenal sense of distrust and miscommunication. The first is this. The tribes all hear that they've built a altar, and they feel that they've built an altar on the Transjordan, and they assume that it's for worship. And they assume that if they're in a different land and they're actually having a new place of worship, that they are in some way creating a new religion and they are committed to idolatry. This is a total misunderstanding. As the tribes across the Jordan say, El Elohim Hashem, El Elohim Hashem. This isn't for worship at all. This is just a symbol. It's a sign. In fact, they probably learned from Joshua who set up monuments in different places that when you want to represent something, you make a monument. So this wasn't for service. This was there in order to act as a reminder, as a marker. That's the first misunderstanding. The second misunderstanding, if you read the, the text well, is that B'nai Israel here in verse 11, they hear that B'nai Ruvain and B'nai Gad have made this Mizbeach El Mul Eretz Kena'an in the Transjordan opposite Eretz Canaan in their own lands. But if you look carefully at verse 10, that's not what they did at all. It says that when they were leaving the land of Canaan, they came to the crossing points of Canaan, at the crossing points of the Jordan, Asher Be'eretz Canaan, Vayivnu Bnei Ruvein Uvnei Gad B'chatsi Shevet Menashe Sham Mizbeach Al HaYardei. The tribes misunderstood. They thought the altar was in the Transjordan, but in fact, B'nai Gad and B'nai Ru'uvain were looking across the Jordan at this altar. This altar was a symbol of connection, not a symbol of division and detachment. But the greatest misunderstanding of all is some sort of subcurrent of disdain and distrust, which I think is felt by both sides. You hear it in the words of the delegation where they say, if your land, if your land is impure, then come over to outside the land which God has given us. There's a sense that somehow Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruvain and Chassi Shevet Menashe, these two and a half tribes, are illegitimate. They have no right to be there. And in fact, we even see this in previous chapters. If you look at the story of the Aremi Klat in chapter 20, when they uh, select the cities in Canaan, in the west side of the Jordan, it says, they sanctify the cities, Kedesh and Shechem and Hebron. But when it says, talks about the Transjordan, it just says, Natnu, they gave the cities. There's a sense that Eretz Israel or Eretz Canaan can be sanctified, but the Transjordan cannot. And therefore, there was almost this tacit um, sense, this latent sense, that these two and a half tribes were 
were always going to do something wrong, that they'd already pulled away, that they somehow weren't quite in it with B'nai Israel. And you know what? The two and a half tribes feel it too, because that's exactly what they they say. They say, we know that your children in future generations, future generations are going to say, there's a border between... They can, they can feel it in their blood. They really sense the disdain. And here you can see the distrust, which almost flares into battle, flares into civil war. Um, that That's what means that B'nai Israel already had mobilized their army in order to avenge what they thought was idolatry. You know, when you're living in a camp in the wilderness, it's a camp where everybody's very close together and you can maybe solve things locally. But once you spread out over an entire geographical uh, expanse, misunderstandings are much more easy to come by. And this is just an awful premonition of things that we're going to see later on in the book of Shoftim, where there are several instances of civil war, the last one of them incredibly devastating, which is really, really expressing the idea that misunderstandings and latent sense of animosity between one tribe and the other has the tendency to flare into violence. Lo alenu. Even today, we have our divisions, our misunderstandings, and it seems like the Jewish people always are prone to infighting and distrust. So let's end with a prayer that rather than letting our divisions and misunderstandings turn to violence and hatred, instead we should always resolve them through listening and through conversation. Thanks for being with us. See you tomorrow. Don't you forget about me